0: In our business, what we did was we did everything humanly possible to decrease our personal expenses. We wanted to see what little amount of money we could possibly live off of. So we cut all of our streaming and services. We went down to one car. We cut one our- One gro- car, like the
1: 1950s, <laughs> shared between us.
0: That's how people act when we tell them that. But one car, it was a very cheap car. We downgraded it and we cut our grocery budget- anything fun we cut.
1: Welcome to What Your CPA Wants You To Know,
0: a podcast for business owners and those planning to make the jump into entrepreneurship. If you're thinking, I've got a great business idea, but what's next? This podcast is for you.
1: I'm Carson Sands.
0: And I'm Taryn Sands. And together, we started our CPA firm. We've grown exponentially over the past six years.
1: I'm a CPA with over 10 years of experience helping people start and grow their businesses.
0: And I'm an MBA with a specialization in marketing and entrepreneurship.
1: Follow along as we share the ins and outs of running a business while keeping your family and sanity intact.
0: And how to save tax dollars without breaking any IRS rules or triggering a painful audit.
1: We're here to share everything your CPA wants you to know.
0: In a fun and easy to understand way.
1: Let's get started.
0: Let's do it. We know there are so many things to do before starting a brand new business and so many things on your mind so many questions to ask yourself and things to figure out because we've been there before. But today, we want to discuss with you the most important things that we feel really contribute to the overall success of a business. If you make sure to set aside time to ask yourself these questions before you get started. So this is for anyone who is seriously considering starting any type of business and Thinking it through, is this really going to be a successful business? So today we have for you five questions to ask yourself before starting a new business. The very first one is, what will you do differently than your competitors?
1: That's one of the most important questions because you have people out there that are already doing this. So why is someone going to choose you over the people that already have more experience, clearly, since you're just starting? There's gotta be something you're doing that's different and special. To explain that, we can tell you a little bit about some of the things we did that were different. We made sure that we didn't spend $10,000 a month on a fancy office on a golf course with $10,000 leather couches in the waiting area. People don't care about stuff like that. They might think it looks kind of cool for about one second when they walk in, but not whenever they see their bill and realize they have to pay a lot of extra money just to pay for your fancy crap. So that was one of the things that we did differently. And we also were one of the first firms, especially first small firms, to be super streamlined in our processing. That just means that we were paperless and we were trying to just email copies of the tax return for clients to e-sign and send back to us so that they don't have to drive to our office. It saves us time, which means we can take on more clients, which means we can do each tax return for a little bit less money per return. So these are all the different things that we did differently from other firms that kind of set us apart and helped keep us uh, more cost efficient right in the beginning.
0: So you definitely want to have a special sauce. You don't want to go into business doing the same thing that all your competitors are doing. Now, that can be... A lot of little things like we did, or it can be one big thing if there's something that you figured out that is just way better or way more efficient, but it can definitely be something as small as a different process. Or for us, one of the big things in accounting firms that we saw was the customer service was just awful. And if someone did come to the CPA firms we were working at, it was generally because they were unhappy with the service. It wasn't them being unhappy with the actual work. It was the customer service. So to this day, six years later, that is something we still make sure is very important in our business is the customer service part of that. And that has treated us very well because our clients are loyal and they are very happy, which means they refer people. So that little thing that we focused on has really been a huge success for us. Now, if you're thinking, I don't know what that special thing is, I don't know what I'm going to do differently, a good thing to do is to pull potential clients. So whoever your client base is going to be, if it's moms or business owners or people who work out, whoever the people that you are marketing to Just fill them out. If they're using a service similar to that, pull them and ask them what could be different? What could be improved on? What would you like in addition to that service or that product that you're already using? So that's a really good way to figure that out if you haven't already asked yourself that question and found the answer to that.
1: It's just as easy as maybe two poll questions. One, what is your least favorite thing that let's say you wanna be a personal trainer that other personal trainers do, that previous personal trainers have done. What's your least favorite thing? The other question could be, what is one service you would love a personal trainer to provide for you that they do not provide currently? If you could fill both of those, then you've got it made.
0: I just want to make sure that everyone listening knows that that special sauce can be something so small. So step one is just to ask yourself what you're going to do differently because that will be a huge part of a new business. Now, the second question that you want to ask yourself is what is the market like where you live for your industry? Now, this is important because markets can become very saturated and it definitely is different for a service-based business like ours, an accounting firm, Versus like an online business. So there's many ways that this can be important, but it is definitely something that you're going to need to spend a lot of time looking into and researching before you set up shop somewhere where there's just too many of one thing in one location because you might not necessarily have a bad idea or a bad business. There's just too many people already.
1: You can look at these first two almost as if they have an inverse relationship, just meaning that... If the market's a little bit saturated in your area, that might still be okay. But it means that number one, your special sauce, that needs to be even more important because there's so many people doing what you do. What are you doing differently?
0: So one example of that, because what we did when we started our firm was we were in a large impact area and we thought this is not really a great place to open a new firm because it would be really difficult for us to get our name out there and just have a lot of competition. So we actually moved to a different area where we knew there was a need for a new CPA firm. What that did for us was that when we moved here and we started our business, our business grew very quickly because there was this need, there was this supply shortage of a service. So if that is an option for you for a service-based business or a business where you have a location, that is a huge factor in the overall success of a new business.
1: You know, we were in a an urban area. And so our idea of not having a big expensive office when you're, you're surrounded by big fancy buildings where accounting firms operate out of, it might not have worked as well there. But when we moved to a more rural area, half the people out here are farmers and welders and they operate out of their own backyard, uh, either in their own little shop or, or they operate on their own land. And so to them, having somebody operate in a little building next to their house didn't seem so strange. So maybe that was one of the reasons it worked so well.
0: Yeah, I do think we got a lot of negative feedback on that initially because when you say accounting firm, people just assumed we were going to rent out a nice space and provide all of these amenities when you come in and have a nice waiting area. That's just what people are used to. And so we did get some negative feedback on that of people thinking that it just wouldn't take well. And we saw very quickly that that just was not the case. We also weren't going to dress up every single day. Now, it's not that we don't look presentable, we just don't always have business casual on, and that was also something that people were like, oh, I don't know, like people really want their accountants to be dressed up. But actually the area that we're in, most of our clients that we're seeing are not dressed up at all. So it actually is completely fine for us to be a little bit more on the casual side. And that's also worked out well because of our area.
1: Yeah, but not that casual. I mean, I wear my nicest flip-flops to work and <laughs> and, and usually my most quality Speedo. Um, so, you know, that's Lord. what you can expect to see.
0: I do not let him wear swimsuits to work. That is where I draw the line.
1: Except that one time accidentally. <laughs> I have have a black pair of swimsuit shorts that look like my black golf shorts, and they're almost the same thing. I don't really know the difference that much, except that they are different, and I wear golf shorts and a polo a lot of days, and this day I had on a swimsuit and a polo, and it didn't took <laughs> till the end of the day before Taryn noticed. She's like, are you wearing a swimsuit to work? I was like, uh, I guess so.
0: That is true. You actually did wear your swimsuit to work. So <laughs> uh, I'm sure I
1: only met with three or four people that day. Yeah. So,
0: And I actually remember one day you weren't going to meet with clients, so you decided to wear your Star Wars t-shirt. And a client came in and you ended up having to meet with them. And you were wearing that.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. They didn't care at all. And by the way, the guy was also wearing a Star Wars shirt. So it worked out <laughs> just fine. It's not like he came in in a three-piece suit. So people don't dress up to go see their accountant and that's fine with me. Yeah, I don't I don't need you in a suit.
0: <laughs> I think the lesson to learn here is that if you are willing to think outside of the box, maybe your business is not going to look like traditional businesses in your industry. That's okay because doing it differently could also be your special sauce.
1: Some people might even feel more comfortable if you if that was one of your things, you know, you got to think it's not just something we don't want to do and no one cares. It might even be that they feel more comfortable not walking in to be intimidated by somebody in their fancy three-piece suit.
0: Yeah, I think that part of that was that we don't want to dress up like that every day, but it also is a more relaxing environment. Some people are already stressed to come talk to their accountant. It's just more relaxed and I feel it's like it's more inviting.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay, that leads us to question number three that you want to ask yourself. And that is, what is your break-even point?
1: Right. Now, this could mean a couple of things. So if you start a business, but your spouse is still working, then your break-even point, assuming you can live off your spouse's income, is your break-even point is just how much you need to earn to pay for the expenses of your business to where you're at least not losing money. That's pretty simple. But it can get more complicated if you do what we did and decide to both quit your jobs and start a business. Your new break-even point is how much you need to pay the business expenses and to keep up with your personal bills or you're not going to be able to eat.
0: First, I think it's very important to actually explain what the breakeven point is in accounting terms.
1: Sure. So breakeven is just where you're not making money and you're not losing money. Or another way of looking at it is your total sales is equal to your total expenses. So that when you calculate the numbers, you didn't make a profit, but you didn't lose money either. So let's say you charged $100 for all the work you did, but it cost you $100 in expenses to make that money, then that is your break even point.
0: So you need to make over $100 to actually start making a profit.
1: That's right. And that's such an important number because as long as you can make it outside of work off of either your spouse's income or just savings that you have, then your break-even is a great spot to shoot for because at that point, now you have all the time in the world. You're not losing money. So you have plenty of time to figure out how to turn that break-even into a profit. But if you're losing money up until that point, it can be tricky because how long can you sustain that before, it, before you have to quit?
0: And you also need to consider at the very beginning that breakeven is going to be a lot harder to reach than just like a daily break even because that needs to include your upfront investment. So we needed to buy some computers and desk and things to outfit the office. So we weren't really making money until we recouped all of those costs. And another thing that kind of goes along with the break even is depending on the type of business that you're opening, the break even could be a lot. It could take you a long time to hit break even. You need to know what that is. And the reason that you need to know what that is is because you need to make sure that you have enough time to prove your concept. So some businesses are going to have a lot of overhead in the beginning. So it's going to take you a little bit longer to get to that break even point, but Whatever business is, you need to make sure that you're giving it enough time to get there. So if that's six months, maybe that's a year, maybe that's two years. If you don't give yourself enough time to prove your concept, why even bother?
1: That's right. Now, in in most service-based businesses, I would plan for that to be less than six months or don't do it. Uh, There could be certain exceptions like doctors are service-based, but sometimes they have to buy MRIs or equipment that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. But for the most part, I would try to avoid anything in that space unless you can get your money back pretty quickly. But there's other businesses where that's never going to happen. Heavy equipment, it's going to be a year or two years minimum or maybe longer depending on I mean, if you're buying a crane, it might take you five years to make your money back.
0: And for service-based businesses, for us, when we need a computer, it was very quick for us to hit that break-even point. Right. The thing that we see over and over again is people jump in and they don't have a safety net or they weren't realistic with their time frame. Then they immediately just shut down and they're like, oh, it just didn't work out, so...
1: Or they start borrowing money, but then when they finally start making a profit, then they have so much debt that the money's still going out the door and they don't have any money to live off of.
0: And they're always behind. Yes. Those two things really do go hand in hand, your break-even point and giving yourself enough time to prove your concept.
1: You can do that so many ways. You either have to save a lot more money before you start or cut your expenses a lot or do both, which is what we did.
0: In our business, what we did was we did everything humanly possible to decrease our personal expenses. We wanted to see what little amount of money we could possibly live off of. So we cut all of our streaming and services. We went down to one car. We cut our- One car, like the
1: (laughs) 1950s, shared between us.
0: That's how people act when we tell them that. But one car, it was a very cheap car. We downgraded it and we cut our grocery budget. Anything fun, we cut. Now, we could add those back slowly, but we knew that we could live off like this low, low amount. So that was step one.
1: Yeah. I I wish we still lived off of that low, low amount. Sometimes life was simple.
0: Right. But that was our safety net. We knew that we could make it if we made that much money just to sustain our family. And then Part two of that was that we kept our initial overhead expenses very low so that we didn't have a huge break-even point every month in the business. We need to make sure that we weren't paying thousands of dollars every single month for rent and for any fancy things that we didn't need. Now, we have since added a lot of those to our business, but we slowly added them. Initially, I mean, I was scanning everything in on my phone because I didn't want to buy a scanner. So that is how bare bones that we wanted to start so that we had enough time to prove our concept before we started buying all this extra stuff.
1: Right. That's not possible for everyone, but if it is, you should definitely try it. If you are, for example, opening a restaurant, well, most cities are going to have regulations that don't let you run a restaurant out of your house, which means you're going to have to buy or rent a space, which means there's going to be quite a bit of time there before you can prove your concept eventually you'll get there.
0: So this does apply to everyone, even though it will look differently in every single scenario, every single industry. So that leads us to question number four to ask yourself. And this is how will you plan to grow your business? The way that I like to address this question is in the beginning, You are so excited about this new business of yours, and you might have a couple of ideas how you will start getting clients, but in reality, the first few years, you're going to continuously trying to get new clients or customers over and over again. So in the very beginning, before you even start the first initial phases of making this real I always suggest writing down your ideas for how to grow your business. And these are small things. So this is like getting active on a Facebook group or having a referral program in your business from day one or being active in the community or going around and putting your business card places. There are a million ways you can do this and there's a lot of small and free ways to do this. But if you don't continuously focus on these little growth strategies, then you will not grow as quickly as you should in the first few years. For us, that was contacting family and friends. That was Carson actually hitting the pavement and getting out there and talking to business owners in the community. Both of those things were free, minus the paper that we printed our information on. Another thing was I was very active on social media and putting things out there that set us apart from our competitors. That was also free. I didn't do any paid ads or any advertising whatsoever. But there are so many strategies, and that list will make sure that you're able to go back to them again and again and again, because those little strategies only work if you continue to use them.
1: That's true. And I remember when you were doing all that to bring in new clients, and it's just like you you have to keep putting in the work even when you finally have a little bit of extra money and we might have wanted to spend $7 a week to boost the facebook you know reach or anything like that it was still like it was almost like it would double it so the harder you work to get the message out there organically the organic growth, the harder you worked on the organic growth, the more effective the paid growth was as well. So you just have to keep sticking to it and make sure that that you are putting a lot of effort into that. Even when you start getting clients, it's real easy to focus on the clients you have and you should keep them happy. But until your book is full, then you need to make sure you're still advertising and bringing in new clients.
0: Yeah. I think the most important thing is not to lose focus. And to continue to readdress those so we could see easily after a few months, which of these growth strategies are really actually working, which one's doing the best. And for us, it was our special sauce. It was we were getting a lot of referrals. And the reason why they were referring us was because they had a great customer service experience with our firm. So most of our new clients were coming from referrals of our current clients, and that just kept snowballing. So that was something that we knew we needed to add to the top of our list to make sure that every single week we were focusing on our customer service because that was where our new clients were coming from. Now, that doesn't mean that we didn't use all of the other growth strategies too. We just put that one at the top of the list and made a priority of what was actually working. This is just something that every single business is going to have to go through. So if you start with your growth strategy from the beginning, then you'll make sure that it is on the focus and you will grow as quickly as you should instead of blinking and being like, oh, we're kind of at the same spot that we were last year.
1: So that leads us to the last question you should ask yourself. Who are your ideal customers? Who are your big goal customers. The people that if you could just have them as a client tomorrow, who would that person be? And I'm not talking about celebrities and unless that's the space you're in, you know, if you're a an agent or something, but I'm talking about realistically in your city or in your area, who would you want if you could just snap your fingers and have them. Make a plan to get them.
0: The first part of that question was who is your ideal client? So, an example of that ours was an ideal client would be business owners. So maybe if you have a coffee shop, an ideal client might be the moms that take their kids to this school, because that's where I'm going to be located. That ideally you would have all the moms come to your coffee shop from that school. The second part of that question is if you did get business owners, or if you did get the moms, who would be just like the big fish to get? And I recommend getting a piece of paper and actually writing this stuff down. Don't just think it in your mind, make a list. So where are all these clients going to come from? And for us, we started with family and friends that owned businesses so that we could work with those types of people that kind of already knew of our experience. And then you go from there. But For you, write down a list of at least five, 10 people that's your ideal client and your ideal space that you're trying to serve. And then definitely write down those really, really big ones that you wanna get.
1: That's true. And spoiler alert for the coffee shop example, it's the president of the PTO, the parent-teacher organization. If you can get her to come every day and drink coffee, she'll bring her friends with her most of the days too. So you're gonna have a lot of built-in customers there.
0: Right. And that could also be, let's say, maybe there's a local influencer or somebody, somebody that has some pull in the community or that people are watching what they're doing. You want to get your word out there. So maybe you get them to come to your coffee shop and they share a picture. That could definitely create some growth. So you're going to have a lot of different people on your list. Than we did, but we did make this list together and we can happily say that we have gotten a few people of our big people on our list that we wanted to be clients.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, just to recap the five questions in a list here what will you do differently? Or what is your special sauce? What is the market like where you live? Is it too saturated? Is there a need for what you do there? Third, what is your break even point? Fourth, how will you grow your business? And number five, who are your ideal customers?
0: These are the questions that we see really contribute to the success of brand new businesses that we work with every single day and will definitely be a huge factor in any new business in any industry.
1: And some of them might seem obvious, but that doesn't mean you're doing what you're supposed to do to make them happen. So write them down and brainstorm. And that will make you intentional about making all of these things happen.
0: Yeah, I do think that some of these are obvious. And you might have read these over and over if you pull up an article or something. But people often just get focused on what is my logo going to look like? And... Nobody cares. <laughs> no. no. I mean, there's definitely some thought put into the marketing and logo aspect of it. But These are the things that really, really matter. We've seen that logos can be shit. And if you have a great service and a really special sauce, you're still going to be successful. So these would be at the top of the list. And they're just an important ones that we see people overlook all the time. So that wraps up the episode for today. I just want to ask a huge favor. If you will screenshot this episode and share it on your social media, tag What Your CPA Wants You to Know on Instagram, and let us know what your favorite part of this episode was. We would really, really appreciate it. And until next time, thank you so much for listening to What Your CPA
1: Wants You to Know Podcast. This podcast is intended to provide accounting and tax information for educational purposes only. All tax situations are unique and should be handled with the assistance of a tax professional.